Hey there, welcome to Down to Watch. This is the podcast where we ask, are you down to watch? I'm your host, Camila. I'm Dan. And uh, we're going to be talking about movies, music, TV, and just general pop culture goodness. If you have not already, can you please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook? If you have, thank you. We totally appreciate it. This is episode 37, and we are experiencing heavy maternal instincts. And back for his triumphant return, Scott Jarvis. Jarvis. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be back. Good, to, good, good that you have me back. Yes, we had so much fun. We had so much fun last time talking about Ryan Gosling and his doped up abilities. <laughs> <Is there> one? <laughs> little half Nelson. A little, uh, a little bit of a uh, of a tone shift uh, between movies that we're reviewing, but uh, but good nonetheless. Thinking about that movie, <laughs> yeah. But um, you know, it was a Jarvis pick, and um, we were down to watch it. <laughs> I don't <laughs> go down. Don't stop. It's Pete Seeger. <laughs> I just got it. <laughs> it's like, oh, how long is this going to go on? <laughs> I might be slightly ill prepared on my notes. I don't know what happened to me. Well, I got a new job, and so um, I now have things to do at my actual job. So, nice. um, <laughs> utilizing her skill set. So, like, uh, you know, before I, ha- I had the ability and just extra time to just prep for my podcast and whatnot at my old job, but now I'm actually uh, <laughs> so. So Jarvis. Are you prepared to lead this discussion? <laughs> no, I'm almost there. We'll start. Okay, I got IMDb pulled up. It's my crutch. Okay, so. <laughs> All right, the film was made in 1987 by by brother-making tandem Joel and Ethan Cohen. Nice. You go directing, directed and written by the Cohen brothers, and they were raised in '87. And the IMDb summary is: When a childless childless couple of an ex-con and an ex-cop decide to help themselves to one of another family's quintuplets, their lives get more complicated than anticipated. <laughs> because it wasn't complicated enough. <laughs> That is a that that is a very 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 good description for what I think could have been shortened to screwball zaniness ensues at, at at some point. All right, so let's get into our personal histories with this movie. Um, I remember seeing this as a young child, and I saw it a lot in my youth. But I don't think it's, I think it's been a really long time since I've seen it, and I remember enjoying it. Um, but I, I don't know if it stood up to that for me this time around oh, oh, yeah. yeah i don't think it holds up mm-hmm. <laughs> nope. what was yours? it totally held up <laughs> i was a man according to my tradition and my ancestry when this movie came out right so i was like 13 yeah right i think you're a little bit older than that you wish yeah 87 <laughs> You're like fourteen. Go on, man. You were you you were a year into your adult uh, your adulthood. Always bad at math. You are already heavy with you know the bills and responsibilities of mandom. <laughs> of my treasury bond. <laughs> <laughs> he could uh, he could understand the uh, highs conundrum about becoming a man. Right, and a repeat offender. He was a repeat. <laughs> That's what he was. Recidivist. A word for him. H <laughs> I McDonough. I love I love 
how. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're not getting into the movie just yet. My personal history. Yeah. I just feel like it's always been part of me, <laughs> and always since I was born that this movie. Uh. Li- <laughs> <laughs> Go get me that baby. <laughs> get back in the baby right now. I have thought that so many times. Holly Hunter embodies the old Jewish lady that lives inside of me. And H.I. embodies the man that lives outside of me. Uh, <laughs> I'm a sit. Both sides of the pole for you. What about you, Jarvis? <laughs> uh, it was the first Coen Brothers film I ever saw. Um, I knew, uh, I mean, I was a teenager when I saw it, so I think just the, the sheer... Uh, silliness of the movie is what I what I connected to when I saw it as a teenager. Um, as I've watched it um, numerous times growing up, um, I think it's a it's it's a good example of kind of the uh, the absurd that the Coen Brothers are so good with um, with taking a genre and making it um, kind of tilting it on its on on its head a little bit. Um, but but Camila, like you, watching it this time through, I, I wasn't as fond as as a whole of the film as I was in the past um but it's still I mean we'll get into it there's still some sequences in the film that are just just complete completely priceless for me at least Dan is raising his hand I just want that the reason it stood up for me is because I liked Nick Cage again and it's been a long 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 time since I've liked Nick Cage (laughs) Face Off was the last time that's where I stand also I think and that was, I don't even know how long ago that was. That's it feels like, like three lifetimes. I think I was living in Detroit when that came out, so it was like 96, He was so skinny. He was just... Face Off? Yeah. Well. Yeah, Face Off. Face Off was 97. So it was 10 years after this. Um, but I'm just warning you guys right now, if you if you both do not have, you know, enough prep material, I will gladly go into my 20-minute monologue about why Nicolas Cage is one of the greatest actors of his generation. Oh, I I'm dare excited. you. I'm excited to get into that. We'll just do a quick rundown of our, our, our characters um, and actors. We have Holly Hunter, who plays Ed, who is the ex-cop that falls in love with Nicolas Cage, uh, plays High, <laughs> uh, who is H.I., H-I which yeah. I- stands for something yes that's one of my trivia questions oh okay um so uh and he is he is an ex-con john goodman yeah plays gail one of um highs one of hi's old bunk mates in prison and um william forsyth we mean that in the family sense (laughs) (laughs) Um, not like an oz sort of a way but uh, (laughs) oh very different film Uh, William Forsyth plays uh, Gail's brother, Evel, a very, very young William Forsyth. Forsyth. Mm-hmm. You look like uh, uh, William Pitt. Your filthy mouth. There's no way. <laughs> You're not the dentist. <laughs> anyway, um, Francis yeah, McDermott as Dot, who was uh, friends of Ed. And her husband, Sam McMurray, always a delight, who plays Glenn. <laughs> if, if I may break really quickly, I would like to let you know that Sam McMurray was my one of my greatest celebrity sightings when I lived in Los Angeles. I was losing my mind about him being uh, in the restaurant that I worked at, and no one knew who he was. Well, what's funny is I didn't even know, I had no idea what his name was until I looked it up for this podcast. <laughs> 
Like all I all I could think of, I, I I didn't wait on him, but all I could think every time I walked by him was the line, "There's something wrong with the semen." Right, right. <laughs> so we're gonna get us another kid because five we have right now are so well behaved. Kids were awful, and we're swingers. <laughs> the one that was riding on the walls that just made me. That was like some some old like some crazy dark Eli yeah, Roth type sorry, horror film or something. It was just. I a, have ADD. We're way ahead of our. <laughs> That's fine. Jump in wherever at this point. Well, can I talk? Can I? Can I break? Yes. I like that. That was a great terminology. Please. Uh, I just love the cold open of this movie. Mm. Like it's just Hi talking about getting arrested the first time, and then basically it's like while he's getting busted, he's using that time to hit on the pretty girl who takes his picture. <laughs> it's like a solid minutes, right? Before right. we get to actual, it's a cold open. It's just a nice, cold, uh, and they do that sometimes. The mm. mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a hallmark. Like, dream sequences are a hallmark. There's certain things at this point we can go back and look at Raising Arizona. Because the Coen brothers are a freaking canon now. Do we all agree? Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And Jarvis really turned me on to the Coen brothers. You, Jarvis, like, had the best knowledge of pop culture. I did, I did not appreciate it until you made me all those mixtapes. Mm. And, like, songs are still coming out today that you discovered back in 1998. <laughs> not like I wrote them or anything. Just had my ear to the ground. That's all that it was. But but, but thank you. These things, prophetic mixtapes are ridiculous. The Quarter Life Crisis series. <laughs> was that one of the tape titles? Quarter Life that, was a, that was a volume, was a volume. of <laughs> mixtapes. I think I did, like, eight volumes of the Quarter quarter Life Crisis uh, mixtapes for, uh, for, for, for Dan. So, uh such a major boon in life to have had those really seriously. It was just amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, that's an art. <laughs> but Dan, no, you're right. The the the, the Coen brothers uh, in a lot of their films will use um, uh, narrative voiceover to to kind of set tone or or, or you know set the set the plot up. Um, and uh, and and again, you know, it, great cold open. But it's funny because you watch a movie like Raising Arizona, and then you see, you know, you watch something like. Um, I mean, they didn't do it in Inside Lewin Davis. I'm trying to think of uh, yeah. Man Who Wasn't There. They used it, uh, a couple others. And, and you can see that they've gotten better at kind of nuancing it a little bit, not so, you know, in your face. Yeah, Raising Arizona was definitely like, okay, we're doing this. Like, this is our thumbprint. And it was a very heavy thumbprint. And I love also in the opening, cold open, it's while he's getting fingerprinted, he slips like a promise ring on her or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is a that is an Arizona trailer park full-on engagement ring, Dan. I know that I know that didn't look like much, but hi, he, he didn't steal for that, so he had to pay for that. Then a lot of quarters getting that one out of the machine. <laughs> well, well, Camille, let me ask you what what was it about this? I mean, you said you, you you grew up watching it, you know, kind of part of your you know movie DNA of what of growing up. What was it about this time that was lacking or just you know different for you? Um, I think I was bothered by all the facial expressions of Nicolas Cage for one, like the whole like shut one eye and then the other eye is bug open. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe there was just like a lot of stuff was just a little, a lot of the scenes seemed to drag out a little much or seemed to be a little too over the top for my liking. Mm -hmm. Um, There were definitely some scenes that I laughed like 
a wholehearted like belly laugh. There were like a couple in there, and um, I also don't want to take away from Holly Hunter's performance was amazing. I love it just so much. <laughs> like I, I always, I always liked her. Like she's a really great actress, and um, and I did see that this role was written specifically for her. The Coen Brothers wrote. The- and it was just perfect. Like, she was just amazing in it. And um, I also love that Frances McDermott, was, of, of course, is, like, her best friend in this movie. <laughs> and it's Where's just... that baby? Perfect. So, like, the reactions to the baby, I still, I think what really got me sour was when he was trying to get the baby. When he went to go to snatch the baby. And he was too concerned with that they were all crying. And it's like, in all that time he spent trying to shut the rest of those babies up, he could have been out and home by then with a baby. So that was just bothersome to me. You didn't like his ex? (laughs) Yes. I think he was like, these babies just, he doesn't want to hurt the babies or disturb the babies because H.I., even though he's a repeat offender. Yeah, but also, what was it like? He's he didn't, a gentle he never soul. Used, yeah, he never used, uh, he didn't have guns. Loaded have, guns. Yeah, he didn't have bullets in his yeah, guns. Yeah, he's like yeah. the criminal. <laughs> he's a sensitive soul, you know? He's like, I just steal stuff and get shot at and run real good. Right. In his wicker white shoes. God. <laughs> you, know, it, you know, Camille, you talk about about that scene with, with, the, with the babies and, and, and watching it this time. I agree. I was like, man, I, I don't remember it going on this long. Um, but, but, but that being said, there are, there are, um, uh, montages within, within that sequence that I think really kind of speak to what the Coen brothers were trying to do, because, you know, you talk about Nicolas Cage's face and stuff, um, kind of being cartoonish. I, I felt like they were trying to make a Looney Tunes cartoon, uh, live action. And, um, in the, uh, just real quick in the scene where, the mom comes up to check on the babies. Um, if you watch like old Looney Tunes, Bugs Bunny stuff, like that shot of her coming up the stairs, that's like almost frame for frame, like an old Looney Tunes cartoon. Oh, is it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, because and I was, I was almost kind of thinking like, well, damn. The, and also with that scene is like, these the Arizonas seem to be kind of ne- negligent parents to begin with because it took them like forever to finally go upstairs and check on right, them. That's the thing about Norman Rockwell paintings. They just show you how narcissistic and disinterested the adults were of the children. <laughs> <laughs> Kids are falling out of the crib. They're just looking up at this uh, up at the ceiling. There's far too much noise going on upstairs for, for this is the, babies. This is the industrial era. We're going to compromise the ozone and our ethics so that we can stare at the fireplace. But yeah, it was really um a cart that's what I did feel. I felt like it was very cartoony and I guess that's why it appealed to me more as a youngster as opposed to now. Not to say that I'm too grown for cartoons, but it's just I don't know. It was just a, a certain feeling. I kind of was getting a little bored. There's a subtext I think overarching the coming back to this movie and I saw it this time because I was thinking baby proofing the movie would would have been hard. There's there's like an this subtext kind of overarching theme of putting the baby in jeopardy as much as possible with the art of cinematic mm-hmm. skill, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Films are about putting the lens in jeopardy. The lens is always in jeopardy, and that's what keeps us going. We're like, oh my god, it's gonna just we're gonna burst through the screen. Uh-huh. And in this movie, oh, throughout the entire movie, think about how many times you're like, they should have had a disclaimer like, no babies were killed or hurt <laughs> in the making of this film. We did. 
stop a car. That was like that was a movie screen of a car driving right. up to a lens that we put behind a baby, and look how smooth that was. You didn't even notice, or you don't care, you heartless bastards. This baby's in danger. <laughs> I think the trick was more so that the car inched up towards the baby and they sped it up in the frame. But um, that baby. Go, Camila. Get technical on our asses. Do it, girl. Do it. Yeah, I like to know. <laughs> but a complete aside, the baby was so cute. He was such the sweetest little baby. Oh, my God, those big blue eyes. And the and Coen he... brothers like, the only thing cuter than what, baby, would be five. <laughs> and, <laughs> all five. and apparently there were 15 babies that were employed to, p- to play the quintuplets. And one, oh, of them, wow. one of them got fired when he learned how to walk. <laughs> Well, Camila, the baby's got to be adorable. I mean, how else are you going to explain how two hardened criminals uh, brothers are going to go from trying to get the reward money to naming it Gale Jr.? Right. right. <laughs> and, that and so speaking of that, that was the scene where they realized that the first time that they left him in the middle of the road that I just full on belly laughed is when they're screaming in the car. And it should have been just real. It should have been annoying to me. Just like the continual scream, guttural screams. But John Goodman punching the fucking ceiling of the car. <laughs> Got some baby grub, baby wipes. Got him diapers and disposable cats. I got me a packet of blues. They blow up in a funny shape at all? No, just circular. Sorry. Where's Junior? What do you mean, didn't you put him in? No, I thought... Where'd we leave him? I was I was I, I was watching that and I was like, man, how shredded were William Forsyth and John Goodman's vocal cords after shooting that take after take after take? Right, exactly. But um, yeah, so that was one of them. That it's just I just I still kind of giggle just to think about that scene because it's just perfect. And John Goodman, and another uh, one of the things that's really that is pretty great about this, the writing, the dialogue in this film is that you know you've got these people who are like supposedly trailer park trash and criminals and convicts and stuff but they speak no offense so, to people who live in trailer parks of course quote unquote the stereotype trailer park trash but um they all speak so eloquently and specifically hi's voiceovers they are mm-hmm. damn near like they're absolutely they're poetic with just the the words that he uses and the way he chooses to describe things and though, and you know, and, and even just like John Goodman's character sitting there talking to him about, you know, what their plans are, what they should do, and you know, he's very calm about everything that he's discussing. And, and yeah, um, great delivery. But yeah, and like even, um, you know, Holly Hunter, Ed, 
is you know she speaks eloquently about they are a respectable family now and you know so it's like that it's like we're gonna be normal now right hi it's a beautiful right, it's a beautiful contrast <laughs> right? in, the, in the life that they're living and the things that you're seeing from like their their wicker shoes and you know the the that fucking living room set furniture <laughs> lawn, their lawn furniture in the middle of the desert and uh, yeah yeah I, I, well and and in a lot of ways um you know i don't know if you guys are aware but if if the Cohen brothers get taken to task by critics and by by some film goers is you know uh, there are some critics that, that feel that the Cohen brothers are utterly condescending about their characters that like one of the reasons it's hard to love a Coen brothers movie is that they they're, they're looking down their noses at their characters a lot of times. Um, yeah. They're very cartoony. I think overall that's exactly on point because in all of their movies, it's caricatures really? that make comedy work. Not all of them, but, uh, but I mean, Look at a movie like uh, Inside Will and Davis. I kind of felt like they were it, you know, they do this great thing where or Fargo, where they're paying homage to Minnesota and like growing up in Minnesota, but then at the same time in Fargo, like they're making fun of of a lot of people in Minnesota. Or Inside Will and Davis, they're paying homage to this like you know golden age of folk music and you know in, in Greenwich Village, but at the same time, a lot of the people that are in it, you're like really. Yeah, like I surprisingly um, really enjoyed Inside Lewin Davis. I we I think we got like free passes to go see it, and I was like, eh, folk singer. But I left the theater like, wow, I was really intrigued by that, and um, you know, so that was I thought that was a great. That might be one of my favorite Coen Brother films. Well, right. I, in, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Dan. No, you. Right in the middle of all the caricatures, they plop down a really interesting human story. Like in this one, it's about kidnapping a baby because you can't have a baby and you want a baby and they got five. You know, and inside Llewellyn Davis, it was kind of his self-sabotage. You know, there's some kind of interesting human vulnerable story that goes on. Right. You know, and it's kind of guarded by and or enabled by and or examined through this We'll call it bigoted lens. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I'll I'll say two things. The first thing I'll say is, and and I don't want to stir up anything between you two, but Camila, if you did not like Inside Lou and Davis, Dan probably would have divorced you. Uh, and then two, um, I I would say I don't have a problem with how the Coen Brothers are because even though I think there are times where yeah they are poking fun at their characters. The writing is so good. The cinematography is like they know what they're doing shot by shot, and they're just complete filmmakers. So, put a little snide towards their characters. They created them. Let them do it. Right. Yeah. They make them kind of part of the uh, the place, you know. Of mm-hmm. the... uh, yeah. And speaking of the cinematography, this movie had really great um, sunsets. that played a really big part in it. And sunsets and sunrises, just really picturesque. Absolutely. I just want to point a contest with the whole, like, five babies. And the whole time, I don't think anybody was positive that that was Nathan (laughs) Jr. But just after the news came out and said it was Nathan Jr., everybody just accepted that was Nathan Jr. And, like, throughout the movie, H.I. didn't call him Ed Jr. Ed didn't call him H.I. Jr. Everybody called that baby Nathan. (laughs) Nathan Jr. Well, even the dad in the press conference. Which one do they get? Nathan Jr., we think. Right. 
Nobody. Even the parents don't know. Right. <laughs> and how do you keep track of five babies? <laughs> like five. That. <laughs> five twins with right. quintuplets. Quintuplets. <laughs> Come on, Dan. Act like you you've been to school. I've been to. <laughs> And then there's this other thing, too, about how the Coen brothers use dream sequences in all of their movies as well. Mm-hmm. And, like, that was a big thing. Like, H.I. had this dream about a fire and a man. Ghost Rider. And, right, like the Leonard Smalls. <laughs> <laughs> I love that's his name, too, the bounty hunter. Can we just call him Warthog from hell? Let's call me Lenny. <laughs> <laughs> and he's obviously, like, you know, a big part of the plot moving like so you know you're moving from act to act when he makes his sparse appearance until the climax so it's very kind of like the trains are coming around the mountain kind of thing in terms of another plot device mm. it was very naked but well used yeah again again uh, again to me just an example of kind of a more raw you know i mean i guess you could make an, uh, a comparison between leonard smalls and uh Oh, what's uh, No Country for Old Men? Uh, oh. The bad guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, kind kind of more of a subtle and nuanced version of evil than just you know a guy who blows up bunnies and. Uh... Right, Javier Bardem. Uh, yeah, you're... there we go. And yeah, and that by the way is just that's probably one of the scariest villains in a film. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. In No Country for Old Men. Yeah. Oh, because it's because he's real, you know. Yeah. It's it. It's not a cartoon. I mean, he's he's just fucking evil, pure evil, and the smartest weapon I've ever um, thought I've ever ever right. seen, except outside of um, an icicle. Yeah, right. Then melt. <laughs> Very nice, Camila. You do live with a lawyer. Oh my goodness. No, she came with this list of, of of ways to make a body disappear and things that will... Some tells me you've reinforced her list. <laughs> yeah, yes. I've survived. <laughs> I have survived. So what is your 20-minute, your monologue or your... Oh, All right, right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the, the abridged version. I have argued for probably the last 15 years of my life, and it used to be a lot easier to argue before uh, Nicolas Cage got into tax trouble. But I've argued that Nicolas Cage is one of the few actors of his generation, or really of any generation, that can can truly pull off any genre of movie. Um, you know, you have Pacino or De Niro, guys who can do drama really well, thriller really well, but can you imagine? I mean, Robert De Niro has made a couple of romantic comedies, and can you name any of them? The Fockers. Romantic. <laughs> <laughs> he was in a movie called Falling in Love with Meryl Streep, and I think there's another one, but but you know, just can't do it. I mean, name a genre of of film, and I will give you a Nicolas Cage performance in that genre that is that is exceptional. <laughs> Dude has been working overtime since the beginning of time. He makes like five movies a year. Musical. <laughs> he hasn't done a musical. Damn you! All right, my 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 theory just shot. Ha! What did but, I win? But that, but but that no. being said, oh, no wait, I got, I got to think about this. All right, I'm gonna get back to you on musical. 
but 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 if you think about like dramas, you've got like Leaving Las Vegas, amazing film adaptation. His performances, the two twin brothers, and like you just know who is who based off of what he's doing. Was if, Wild if, I'm sorry, was Wild at Heart a musical? No. No, but he but he was the Elvis character. Another great film with him that I love him in. Playing um, Elvis is uh, Honeymoon in Vegas. Uh, just one of many romantic comedies that he excelled at. It could happen to you. Um, then you know you talk about comedies, Raising Arizona. Um, you think about a movie like The Weatherman or um, like a con movie like Matchstick Man. I'm telling you, Nicolas Cage. And again, was. Was he in Little Shop of Horrors? No. Why not? not in Little Shop of Horrors. Why not? All right, I'm, pull, I'm pulling up. I'm pulling up IMDb, and I got to ask you, Camilla, while I'm while I'm looking at this, the for me the crowning achievement of of the entire film is the uh, the gas station robbery that leads to the extended chase scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, no, I, I agree. I, I would say that that was probably, yeah, that was absolutely Nick Cage's crowning achievement in this film because I love the fact that of how cool and his facial expressions and how just kind of uh, neutral they stayed throughout it all. Like he, like even like while he's robbing the dude and then he realizes, you know, Ed is leaving and he's off for the chase and he's going around. His just facial expression is just, you know, the same. It's just neutral throughout the whole thing. And and that. I found to be beautiful. <laughs> that was the facial expression of what's happening. <laughs> I, the, the, one of the best looks he gives is when he gets thrown out of the, the, the windshield of the, of the truck and he gets up and kind of looks back with a little sneer, like, thanks buddy. Yes. And then I also appreciate when um, Ed finally picks him up and there, she's arguing with him and he's like, and they're arguing, but he, in the middle of it all, he's like, you know, turn right, honey. Turn and right, then, honey. <laughs> and it's like right and it's just you know he swoops back in to get the huggies again you know that was his main goal <laughs> we didn't see about it too <laughs> right so it comes you you come to see like in all of that like you want to think that yeah it was just a bullshit excuse to go rob the convenience store but no he knew, he knew he needed huggies and he was going to get it from when he lost them from the first one and then he runs into the other <laughs> grocery store trying to get them again and it just doesn't happen for him and then he gets back in the car with Ed and then he's like <laughs> takes her back to pick him up in, <laughs> in the street so <laughs> that is a fantastic scene <laughs> and even like the every the whole but I, I, I think I enjoyed the pack of wild dogs too, and then just you know everybody running through that house and. Oh yeah, that chase scene was ridiculous. It was just amazing. It, uh, it's, it's definitely not for people who don't like a lot of screaming and a little bit of shrill shrillness to it. But, uh, but right. I, 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 I enjoyed it. The only movie where they intentionally put the crying of a baby in the movie in the beginning. No, but check it. Um, they say checking it. I. Like in the little fun facts thing, a little trivia, it's that um, Nathan Jr. is the only one that doesn't cry throughout this entire film, even though the adults cry all throughout around him. He's the only one that's not crying. There you go. <laughs> that makes sense. He's, he's the anchor of the film, keeping it all together. They fade out on a dream sequence. It's a whole, you know, it, basically it's a love story, and it ends with the whole will they, won't they. You know, because when they return the baby and and uh, and uh, Mr. Arizona catches him, 
And he's like, well, sleep on it before you break up. And then, of course, H.I. has a dream about Nathan Jr., a gift from a family afar, and then, see, you know, he's playing football, and he's either a quarterback or a receiver. I don't fucking know. Something. <laughs> but he's like, he's, he, has, he has the ball. He has he's the ball. He's got the ball. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to agree with Dan about um, f- uh, face-off being the last Nicolas Cage role that I have enjoyed fully. Um, or, well, yeah, I, 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 I challenge the two of you to watch have you seen Matchstick Men? Yes, I own it. I love Matchstick Men, but it's mostly for Sam Rockwell. But I mean, I enjoy Nick Cage in the film, and it's a great film. But I still feel like his role in Face Off was better than his role in Matchstick Men. Have I seen Matchstick? I don't know. I don't think I have. Why does it make me hungry for potato chips? Because those <laughs> Matchstick. Yeah, those Matchstick chips. Potato chips. That's right. <laughs> Matchsticks. All right. So, well, let, well, let me ask. Let me ask you just one more thing, and then, and then, and then I will, uh, I will pipe down for a second. Uh, I watched the film with Christy, my wife, for for viewers, and we've watched it before. We enjoyed all of it, and then we got to the end, and the first words out of her mouth after the end was "goddamn epilogue," um, and she hates anything that has some sort of kind of like summarizing or you know, ten years from now. Um, did did the end bother you guys at all? Yes. Yeah. Too obvious. Yeah, I don't like epilogues. To me, seem like a really nice and tidy way to tie things up, and I don't like I just movies want, that do that. I just feel like they were forced into it. I I hope they were forced into it. Mm-hmm. I hope the producers are like, we need a fucking happy ending here. We need the kaboom. And what's we funny need some is Disney birds singing and shit. What's funny is I think that that was kind of reminiscent of. And I know it came after came out way after, so I don't know if maybe Spike Lee kind of took a cue from this. But um, in Twenty Fifth Hour, spoiler, mm-hmm. guys out there haven't seen it, but like towards at the end, you know, when he's off to jail, when he's driving off to jail, he has that dream about his family and his grandbabies and all that stuff, and you know, he sees he and his wife getting growing old together or whatever. But at least with that one, it turned out just we knew it was just a dream, and you know, we knew that he was off to jail for real. Well- and 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 I love that movie. And the end was kind of for me. And I think the reason why I liked this this one a little bit more and wasn't as bothered by it was, I mean, I'm looking at the the final quote. The it seemed like us. It seemed like us. Well, home. If not Arizona, then a land not too far away where all parents are strong and wise and capable, and all children are happy and beloved. I don't know. Maybe it was Utah. And I know I live in the state, but that was a good final line. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. The major investor from Utah. That makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Story ends. That's what the sacred toad said. Exactly. (laughs) So can we all just agree that his dream about the biker was Ghost Rider? Yeah, sure. Right. That was Nicholas. Into a future role. He's like, I want to be that. But at the time, Cage was as skinny as Sam Rockwell. In some teenage movie, I don't know, but like he was skinny, he was a little guy. He was very, very yeah. small. His hair very, was very, very small. Yes, I think at this point the Coen brothers were in negotiation with Marvel, and just there was a lot of back and forth about Ghost Rider, so they just gave it Warthog from Hell instead of uh, instead. Of... Right, that makes sense too. Sure, future, <laughs> future planning. I liked it. 
I liked it a lot. I do I do still enjoy this movie. I don't know. There's very heartwarming movie to me that there'd be parents out there that want a baby so bad. There was another um yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay, so that's like the the basis of this film is that even though, you know, both high H I and Ed had their faults about, you know, going to actually steal a baby. Edwina. There was still a lot of love. There was so much love in between them that for the simple fact that she wanted to have a family and a baby so much and that he was willing to go do that. I right. mean, went into the house. Yes. Came back out. I was like, it just didn't work out. <laughs> and went back in. <laughs> and went it, back in. That's huge. That is a lot of love right that's there. That deal. second time is a lot of love right there. <laughs> I could see an average Joe going in once. But it takes a special kind of high yeah. to go in there twice. <laughs> do you guys see that, like, um, do you see that High and Ed are still together? Of course. <laughs> what else would happen? Uh, uh, um, uh, Ed came to her senses and left a degenerate recidivist uh, on, the, on the side of the road. <laughs> I'm not saying he didn't go to prison. <laughs> <laughs> And whatnot. <laughs> so, and I guess I, I kind of see that. Well, one, their their actual courtship was just him being fingerprinted and getting his mud was like a series of fingerprints and mug shots. And I guess what each kind time, of gal says yes, right? And each time, <laughs> and each time they, um, he went in there. There were like three times, right? And each time was mm-hmm. like months. You're just so, a desert flower. So it's like, you know, I would say like, you know, five to six years this has been going on between them. <laughs> it was a long courtship, but, but a courtship nonetheless. There were like no letters or nothing. That was the only time he saw her and she agreed to this. Right. So I'm, I also a, guess- I'm, a here, I'm a free man. I came here on purpose this time. <laughs> the only time he's come to see her on purpose. Right. Yes, her to Marion. Yeah. Well... Well, let me ask you guys real quick. Do you do you see? I saw a high bunkmate in prison as kind of uh, in Forrest Gump that Bubba is almost an homage to that guy. This is perfect. <laughs> yes, indeed. And on this point, I am going to throw down my geek to geek challenge. Uh-oh. Geek versus. Uh-oh. You can do this one of two ways. You can do this three questions, which is kind of, you know. Three questions. Where did you get these questions? Or, or do you know the actual answer? You answers? could go five questions, which is the mercenary way to go. We're just and... gonna go. <laughs> so, which is it then? Well, here's my question: Where did you get these questions, and do you have the actual real answers, or are you just, or are these answers you've come up with? I got the questions through magic, and yes, I have the real answers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I will say. I will say this: when when I start talking, Camila does drop out. So, if we're both talking at the same time, I do apologize. Okay. All right. Well, I could, I could do it like this. I could ask you one question each. If you fail to get it, the other person gets a chance to answer. Yes, that's a good okay. way. I think that's good. I'm going to keep score. Okay. <laughs> Three questions. And one each. No. no oh, no, no, okay. No. All right. One each. No, when um, I run out of ask- questions, that's what happens. We'll see who wins. <laughs> okay. Who are you asking first? Okay. Versus. Lady, ladies first. Ladies first. Okay. All right. Okay, so we were talking about H.I.'s bunkmate. Uh-huh. Remember him? Yeah. How did H.I.'s bunkmate prepare his crawdads? Oh. I totally stopped listening. Like, is something about sand and in a pot? 
I don't know. You're so close. <laughs> I'm going to give you 10 let, seconds. Let, to no, think I'm not about... going to come up with it. Jarvis, it's your turn. Okay. Jarvis, how did H.I.'s bunkmate prepare his crawdads? They boiled them in a pot, I thought. You put them in the pot without water, like popcorn. Oh. <laughs> That's right. Nobody. <laughs> Zeros across the board. <laughs> I was just like, what the hell is he saying? He's going, my, my daddy taught me how to make the crawdads, and he boiled water with the crawdads, but I didn't want to have any of the crawdads. I put water in there, and like popcorn. <laughs> so I just, I put it in the pot water, and they popped up like popcorn that time. Like, All right, I have to edit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, question two. That's pure gold right there. <laughs> Who is H.I.'s coworker talking about? Remember the guy that chewed his gum? Yes. Well, first you... of all, that's that's M.M. at Walsh, and he's got his uh, he's got his lunch in the one hand and Glenn's fucking head in the other. Right. No, and Glenn. Glenn is, is the guy's name. Glenn, that's who he's talking about? Yeah, the one he's talking about. Okay. You think H.I.'s coworker is talking about... You were talking about the guy chewing his gum. Yeah. H.I.'s there at his little... He just to drill holes in steel for a living. Mm-hmm. And you say he's talking about Glenn. Glenn. That is the incorrect answer. He's talking about. Well, you know he's not talking about Bill Robertson. Not that. Not that mother scratcher. That mother scratcher. (laughs) He's talking about Bill Parker. Bill Parker. Parker. And a little side note: (laughs) their name tag or the little the logos on their jumpsuits, Hudsucker. Hudsucker Industries for the Hudsucker Proxy. Yep. Owen Brothers is working it. <laughs> Love it. All right. So, obviously, I need to pull from the lower fruit on the tree. <laughs> no, we're, we're, we're doing you terrible. I'm sorry. What we're does Nathan... You. Okay, are you ready? Yes. Okay. What does Nathan Arizona do for a living? Or what does Nathan Arizona sell for a living? He sells unpainted furniture. That is correct. <laughs> Unpainted furniture. That was Camilla really low, really low hanging on fruit. the scoreboard with one. All right, I like it. Can I have a follow-up question? Yes. Yeah. Why did he change his name? Because no one would buy uh, unpainted furniture from Hoffine, uh, Unpainted Hoffines? Yes. Ooh, <laughs> Jarvis just got question number five right. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> question number five was, what is Miss Arizona's real last name? Uh, well done. Was, so what's the time you're a remember? precog. <laughs> well, I hate to have it come out on your podcast, but use it because it'll sell it. <laughs> so I think that's probably the tie-breaking factor no, right there. No, I have a tie-breaking question. Oh, okay. <laughs> the tie-breaking question is... What is H.I.'s real first name? I don't know. You. Is that your final answer? Uh, sure, why not? That is incorrect. Boo. Camila, it has been a pleasure to tie with you on uh, on Freaks and Jeopardy. <laughs> His real name is Herbert. 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 Yes, Act 2 opens up with him writing a Dear John letter to... Right. Ed, we know, and he signs it Herbert. Oh, yes. 
That's probably one of the first things he said too, like in the opening. No, he no. did not. Oh, he I didn't? was listening for it the whole time. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. Well done on your question round there, Daniel. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> so there's another um thing that I I did find pretty ridiculous but amusing is when Gail and HI fight. And the fact that two grown ass men in this tiny trailer and they're fucking shit up. And I just I love the fact that it's it seems extremely realistic that what you would expect would happen in a tiny trailer if two big dudes were to get into a fight. Like everything is just like, you know, every punch, you know, the elbow go, throws goes through goes the wall. Glass. Yes. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, you know, kind of a, uh, you know, talking about trivia, Dan. I mean, um, a lot of the shots that were used in this. I don't know if you were aware, but the Coen Brothers were um, the directors of, of photography for uh, one of Sam Raimi's first films, and they're really good friends with Sam Raimi. And a lot of the shots that they use in that, they they brought Sam Raimi on set to because of what he had done with The Evil Dead um, for a lot of the camera work, and like one of those shots is the legs during that fight scene kind of being twirled around. Um, there's the shot where they have the camera on a two by four uh, running up to uh, um, the Arizona household when, when uh, the mom finds out that the baby's uh, escaped or been kidnapped. Um, and yeah. so there's, there's a definitive Sam Raimi kind of touch to, to a lot of the shots in that film. Nice. That absolutely is. Yeah. I totally see that now. Good call. Guys are awesome. Well, like 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 Dan says, I know I know one or two things about uh, about <laughs> not much. So. A little something, little something for you. <laughs> so, what's your favorite Coen Brothers movie, Jarvis? You know, I'm going to be ultra hipster douchebag and say Miller's Crossing because I can be like, no one's seen it, but it's 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 a really good film if you haven't seen it. Nice. Oh my well God. played. I have not seen it. <laughs> no, I have not seen it. <laughs> well played. <laughs> well, let me lord that over you. Um, how about you guys? Um, I think mine would either be uh, 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 No Country for Old Men was really good. Let me great one here real quick. Um, balls. I just had it. Uh, hold on. We're getting there. We're we're almost there. Um, no Country for Old Men. Oh, Fargo was excellent, and um, God, I would have to say Fargo was probably my favorite one. You know, it's trying I, that's a little more mainstream, but um, still a great film. Yeah, it's great. And have you watched any of the the television show? haven't i haven't it's it's like it's on my to-do list and and everyone i know who whose opinion i i respect have all said that it's just amazing well let's just add one more person because that is amazing there you go <laughs> and i think one of the reasons why um not the tv but the um or the film like i love Steve buscemi in it and you know william h macy as well as um francis mcdermott but um peter stormare my absolute favorite, most favorite dude to play villain or weird in a film <laughs> is in that film. And I love him so <laughs> I think that's probably why I gravitate towards him so much. 
He's, he, he, is, he, he fits their sensibilities out well. I would also throw in, and I know Dan's going to say Big Lebowski, as he should, um, but uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou is also up there for me. Yeah, I was going to say Oh Brother, Where Art Thou. I totally forgot about Big Lebowski, dude. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> just one more shout out but, but to get one more gush to peter stormare best um on screen oh the ever. nihilist yeah no best, nihilist. no best on-screen uh devil ever oh yeah 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 absolutely um martin fink, they did martin fink didn't they i still have to watch that. that's the one that got me hooked because i remember yeah, yeah and there's you know was John Turturro as Jesus and Big Lebowski? I mean, what's don't not fuck to with like? The Jesus, <laughs> I love him. You've been arrested with me. I take the gun out of your hand, stick it up your ass, and pull the trigger till it goes click. And another thing about the Coen Brothers is I do like the fact that they reuse actors, because um, I guess oh. you know John Goodman has been in several of their films as well as later on, like George Clooney or John Turturro, and I I like that um, to to reuse a lot of characters and it's like a thing that's been kind of taken over now with television like with american horror story and i think american crime story as mm-hmm. where they're the same characters and each season is something totally different or they're taking the same actors and making them different characters which i enjoy seeing yeah people in different roles yeah the coen brothers live in an interesting universe and they do keep it consistent and consistently weird yeah Consistently weird, and dreamy, and monologue with a bit of poetic justice. Well said, Dan. Well said. Now, we usually just kind of touch on the soundtrack a little bit, but this is like the soundtrack is typical Coen Brother. What would you, what would you guys call this music? Like, uh, kind of uh, uh, Jewish hoedown. Jewish hoedown. <laughs> Yes, it speaks to me. You understand, Jarvis. <laughs> Bluegrass, people. There we go. Jewgrass. Jewgrass. Little known fact, Bill Monroe uh, had his uh, bar mitzvah when he was 20. All right, I believe it. So, what would you um, rate star wet star rating? Would you each give this? Did you just ask wet star rating? What star oh, rating? Jeez, man, this headphone. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, when I was a kid, I gave it a nine. As an adult, I give it a solid seven and a half. Ah. Well, I should have I should have told you it's from one to five. <laughs> oh, <clears throat> then definitely nine and seven and a half. Well. uh Okay, one to five. I apologize. Uh, as a kid, I'd give it a five. As an adult, I'd give it four. Dan? Ooh, that's a narrow difference. I don't know. Four all the way around as a child and an adult. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to give it a three and a half. Oh, yeah? Just because, yeah, I mean, because there were points where I left the room and didn't care. And I came don't... back. <laughs> but there were also, but that half. I thought it was just because you had laundry to do. Well, there's that, but I could have paused it, but I, there were some points I didn't. But, I, I mean, like, but there are certain scenes that kind of bump it up a little. That's just like, yeah. I mean, there are definite. It's just, it's one of those films. Okay, we'll get to that. I'm a little weird in the Coen Brothers. I am, like, the niche market of the Coen Brothers. Mm-hmm. Like, I appreciate 
both kind of like the historic and cultural curiosity and just the the vulnerable human story. I don't know. I, they do it for me. I like the Coen brothers all the way around. The only reason I don't give it a higher number is because you could see the, you know, the stitch in the drapes, so to speak. You could see some of the kind of heavy handed architecture sometimes, but again, early film. So to be right. expected, that sucker proxy seamless. That, that might be their best work in terms of, I mean, it's still a good film. Raising Arizona is a oh yeah, is a good film. It's just not something that I was um I was like halfway through it because before we did this, I thought about buying it, and then halfway through it, I was like, I'm glad I didn't buy this. A Muncie girl. <laughs> Go Eagles. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess are you are you gentlemen down to watch it again? Yeah, there might be I... a point in my life in which I own a Coen Brothers volume series. Gotcha. Jarvis, I've uh, I've seen this movie probably a dozen times. I I I'm watching it again. I'm probably going to watch it with my nieces and nephews at some point. So absolutely. Oh, I'll probably watch it again, but like on a Sunday for nap time kind of thing. Going out. I mean, you know, it's like I'll put it on and fall asleep until I fall. You know, just wait till I fall asleep and then be okay with it. Awesome. That'll be like two of my favorite activities: staring at Camila while she sleeps and watching a. <laughs> be great so where you guys can watch the raising arizona film um it's on demand right now we got it we watched it for 3.99 and it's also on amazon how'd you watch it jarvis uh i bought the five dollar dvd yeah <laughs> so, so or you can just go ahead and buy the five dollar dvd in that five dollar bin at walmart you know you yep can... <laughs> nice <laughs> What's his name? Uh, uh, hi, um, hi, Junior, till we think of a better one. Well, why don't you call him Jason? I just love biblical names. If I had another little boy, I would name him Jason Caleb or Tab. <gasps> oh, he's an angel. He's an angel straight from heaven. No, honey, I had all my kids a hard way. You just got to tell me how you got this little angel. What do you do? Just fly straight down from heaven. Well, you're going to send him to Arizona State. So now we come to the Bechtel test. No, it pa- it fails. Explain it. <laughs> the Bechtel. Uh, uh, wait, no, well, wait. Francis McDormand and Holly Hunter they have a discussion about the baby, but okay. Okay. No, for those who don't know, the Bechtel test is a type of litmus test to assess the presence of women in movies. It originated from Alison Bechtel's comic Dykes to Watch Out For in 1985, just two years before this film came out. The rules of the test are as follows. One, it has to have at least two named women in it. Yes, we have Ed and Dot. Two, they need to talk to each other. They sure do over um, mustering some sandwiches at a picnic table. And three, something besides a man. I guess yeah, it does because they're talking about the dip test. You need to have the dip test. And yeah, the dip test. They're they're talking to a man together, right? But they're talking about the baby boy and his needs, right? Now, now wait, wait, wait. There was the convict who was talking about getting the menstrual cramps real hard. Does that <laughs> count? <No. laughs> he wasn't talking to another woman. We're gonna have to write. And be like, okay, look, are babies men for purposes of this analysis? I don't think so. I would like, me personally, I would say no. 
babies are baby. not. Right, it's a baby, yeah. and it's a that's a different thing. Of course, a mother is going to talk about her her child's son. But neither one of those women were that Nathan's mother. <laughs> but for all intents and purposes, um, Ed was. Or related. Well, Ed was. And, you know, Dot was under the assumption that she was. Right. Dot was and so, that. you know, they were talking about the care and health and well-being of that baby and all the things that she needed to do as a mother, as a new mother. And and uh, and Evel knew about the dip test. She getting a dip test. dip test. <laughs> to be scared tomorrow. I got some stuff to do. You get the dip test. <laughs> so I guess we'll go ahead and say that yes, it does pass the Bechtel test. I may have. Uh, I mean, they're talking with an asterisk. It with an asterisk. Okay, we'll do that. There we go. You got anything else you want to add, Jarvis? Uh, enjoying doing these uh, podcasts with you guys. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me back on, and, uh, and would like to do it again at some point. Yes, it, come back as much as you want to. I uh, I was the Jonathan Sales movie. Who's Jonathan Sales? Jonathan Sales? Ooh. Uh, well, we can have a discussion about that. But 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 if uh, if oh man, <laughs> let's really switch uh, tones and uh, watch Matewan, which is about the uh, uh, the creation of the uh, uh, coal unions in South Carolina in the 1920s. <laughs> what about Hal Hartley? I've watched one of those with you, haven't I? Yeah, we should do a Hal Hartley film too. I think. Yeah. Do you want to revisit Henry Fool and uh, find out if it uh, d- like splits uh, the the people uh, into those who hated it and loved it? Right. I'm totally disappointed. I don't own that movie because it would be I've another tried... movie I could annoy my wife with. I've tried to purchase it for you <laughs> for several um, occasions and whatnot, but apparently for the longest time it's been like thirty fucking dollars for a DVD. Oh. No, 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 no! Don't, don't pay that much. Yeah. It's not gonna happen. Respect the artist. <laughs> Hal Hartley deserves thirty dollars. Okay, so once again, we'd like—I'd <laughs> like to thank Dan for joining us because he doesn't normally do so, and thank Jarvis. Thank you for joining us. And You're welcome, as always, please um, subscribe, like, rate, review, follow all that jazz. We are a DTW podcast on Twitter, Down to Watch podcast on Facebook. Uh, but here's the the catch on SoundCloud and iTunes. You can find our podcast, but it's under Rugged Angel Productions, and Rugged Angel is one word. You can also go to ruggedangel.com and find some past episodes and links to other cool stuff. Storm Large episode was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Jarvis. And uh, until next time. 